listen to what I say. Okay, you should not just take my word for it. You got to go back to the word of God, the Bible, and check on what I say. All right, and so I want you to follow along with us. So here's the deal. When I was thinking about this and kind of what the book of John is, I was thinking about every year I, I have a person of the year. All right, so I like study somebody for like a whole year, but it's typically like an old dead dude. Just because, like, if you haven't been dead for, like, a few years, I just don't trust you. Like, I just don't want to read your books. Like, it, and I don't know why that, and I know you're going, dude, I'm, I'm a college student. This is not interesting to me. All right, well, it's coming. All right, you hit 25, and the most exciting thing in your life is just reading books by old dead guys. Okay, so, so I read books by old dead dudes, and I, I, like, pick a person of the year, and I read biographies about them, and I read the stuff that they wrote. And, and so here's the deal. If you ever go to like a Winston Churchill trivia night, like I'm your man, all right? Which I know that's common. Like I know you were thinking like this weekend, I'm hitting up Winston Churchill trivia night. Give me a call because I'm in. All right, so did you know, you probably didn't, that Winston Churchill used to fight wars from his bathtub? Okay, yep, that doesn't make sense. I'm going to explain it. Okay, so this was, this was Churchill's routine. He would like get out of bed in the morning. He would immediately go for just a pretty good sized glass of scotch. Not the best idea in the world, but Churchill was weird, so he went for it. He'd get a scotch, he'd get a cigar, and he would go and sit in the bathtub for like an hour, and then his assistants would stand outside the door, and he would yell like commands to them for how to like run the war. So, and he would like write books from his bathtub, and he would like just yell it to the other side of the door. Okay, so how do I know that? I've clearly never met Winston. I know that because, yeah, I'm, we're on a first name basis. I just call him Winston. Uh, Winston, that reminds me of Winston from New Girl. Very different people. Is that what you were laughing at? Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Winnie the Bish. Okay, not Winnie the Bish. Different Winston. Uh, okay, so, so yeah, Winston Churchill. Uh, so here's the deal. How do, I, how do I know this about his life? How do I know what that dude does when he gets up in the morning? Because somebody studied his life, and they wrote it down for me in a biography so that I can learn, like, random useless pieces of information about dead people. Right, but okay, that, that is kind of fun because it kind of makes them like come to life, right? I feel like I kind of know who he was, but here's really the reason why I do it is because I want to learn from them. Like I, I want his life to impact my life. I want to be a better leader, a, a, a better person. I want to understand the world better because of these people that I'm going to study for the rest of my life. And so here's what the book of John is. It is a biography. It's a biography about the most important person who's ever lived. His name's Jesus Christ. And the name of the book is John, not because it's about John, but because John is the dude that wrote the biography about Jesus so that we could know who he is. And here's the deal. Biographies are good, but biographies written by people who actually knew the person are better. John was Jesus' best friend, more than likely. So he was, for three years, John and Jesus hung out for about like every waking minute there was even a, a group of people that were sort of specifically in on Jesus' inner circle. John was one of those people. And so John, like, you can't write this off as like just a nice moral story that you can get some lessons from. This is an eyewitness account 
of what happened, of who Jesus was, of what he was like, of what he said. Like John, throughout these years of knowing Jesus, would, would listen to Jesus preach and he would, he would replay it over and over and over again in his head until he had it memorized and then he would go write it down. He would, he would take notes on who Jesus, actually I don't know if that's true because I used to write on scrolls. I don't know if he cared to scroll around. So maybe that's not true, but he would, he would pay attention, he would do stuff and then he would go back and he would write down this narrative about Jesus so that Jesus' life can impact our life so that we can know for a fact what Jesus was like and what that means for our lives and our stories. And this is what John said is sort of the, the point, the reason why he wrote this book for us. John 20, 31. But these are written, and I think I have this one on the screen, so you don't gotta flip there. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Okay, the reason John wrote this book is for you to investigate the claims about Jesus Christ, a real person who lived 2,000 years ago, who really existed and who I think really rose from the dead and who is reigning over the universe. And you have to make a call on what you believe about him based on this eyewitness account. And so if you're a skeptic, John wrote this book for you. He wrote this book for you so that you would in investigate the claims of Jesus. If you've been around Christianity forever, Jesus, or John wrote this book for you so that you can know Jesus more intimately and so that you can study him and so that his life will impact your life. Okay, so today we're looking at John 1. And I typically... I typically don't write names for my sermons. Christians get weird about like making stuff like catchy and they throw out like season and like, like weird, like exciting words. Okay, I'm, I don't usually do that, okay? Like why don't we just call it John, right? So this, our series is called John, but I am actually naming this sermon because I wanna like kind of tie together what John 1 is about. This, this sermon is just called The Story of Everything. The Story of Everything. Because John 1 is going to talk to you about the story of everything that exists. So we, we all have stories, right? Like, we love telling stories. We love hearing stories. We all have stories about who we are. You tell yourself stories about your life, about why it matters, about who you are, and that helps you answer the big questions in life. Like, why are you here? Where did you come from? Why does your life matter? Does it matter at all? Is there a God? Like, what are you supposed to live for? The stories that you tell yourself will answer those questions, and the stories that other people tell about you will also inform those questions. But what John is saying is, hey, I want you to, to step away from your story for a minute and I want to tell you the story. Like the one story that explains everything in life. I was at a, a network day this week where churches from around our network got together. So if you don't know, the Salt Company is a part of a series of churches and college ministries all throughout the Midwest. And we all got together to talk about vision. And, and we're going to be planning some more churches and college ministries in the future. So I'll tell you more about that later. But I was at the network day and one of our churches in Lawrence, Kansas, their little catchphrase is this, connecting your story to the story of God. Connecting your story to the story of God. So that's what I wanna do tonight is I wanna tell you the story of God through John 1 and I want you to see what that means for your story. All right, so here it is, John 1. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. 
He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Okay, so that's a weird way to start a biography, right? So typically when you're writing a story about someone, you're like, hey, so Winston Churchill did this. Or like the other gospels about Jesus, they, they start out with like the manger or the build up to the manger. So why is John starting with like some weird poetry about this thing called the word? Okay, so this is what you need to know is the word is Jesus himself. And, and this is what John is doing, is he's saying, hey, look, it's great to start like with where Jesus came into existence as a human being, but you gotta go way, way further back than that to understand him. You gotta go all the way back to the beginning of everything. And so when, when the original hearers would have heard this, like the start to John, they would have heard this in the beginning and it would have reminded them of something. It would have reminded them of the book of Genesis, the creation story where it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so John is tying Jesus to that moment where, where God speckled the star or the sky with stars, where, he, where he, he spoke a word and everything in existence came into being, that, that in that moment Jesus was there and that it was happening through him and that it was happening for him. Like he goes as far back as you possibly can and he said you can't ever get away from Jesus. He's always been there. But for a different group of people, the non-religious people, they wouldn't have cared about the in the beginning thing. They would have heard the word word. Okay, so, so he says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. That doesn't make sense to us, but to them that would have rung a bell immediately. So that word word in Greek is the word logos. That's where we get our word logic from. And this was their, their concept of the universe. This was how they understood everything it, it, they, they said there was this unifying force behind the universe that, that sort of everything relates to, that everything comes back to, the, the logic of everything that exists. And John is claiming that for Jesus. He's saying that thing that you've been looking for, that you've been talking about, that you've trying to figure out, he's here. He's walking the earth with you. So, so catch this. All of the great names in science... Einstein, Newton, Darwin, Hawkins, they were all trying to tell us a story. And in some ways, they successfully did. They told us a lot about the world, but they were trying to tell us a story about the world, about how it worked, about where it came from, where we come from. The greatest philosophers and the thinkers of all time, right? Like, like Socrates, Plato, Aristotle, those guys, they were trying to tell us a story about what all of that means, about why we matter, and then this is crazy. Jesus busts on the scene and he says, I'm that story. It's all about me and it's all for me. Jesus is the logic of the universe. Jesus is the logic of the universe. Everything makes sense and comes together only in him. But here's gonna be your temptation is, is you will depend on your own thinking or your own understanding of the world or your own understanding of logic and you'll try and kind of fit God and fit Jesus into that and he's having none of that. He's way too big for that. Have you ever tried to fit an elephant into a shoebox? I don't know why I said it like that. Of course you haven't. Don't know what a context would be. If you try and fit an elephant into a shoebox, it's not gonna work. It's way too big. 
You can't fit Jesus into your little small views of the world. You have to conform to him. You have to deal with him. He's the logic behind everything. He's what it's about. Okay, so what the heck does that have to do with your life? It's kind of big and heady and philosophical and whatever, but what does that have to do with you like tomorrow? Okay, here's what this means. It means that there's meaning in every aspect of your life and every aspect of this world. And it means that everything relates to your relationship with Jesus. Okay, so here's, here's what we try and do. We try and have like spiritual things, right? Like, like you come to Salt Company, you go to Connection Group, maybe some of you read your Bible and that's like the spiritual things. And then over here is like the other stuff that's not as big of a deal. But Jesus is way too big for that. Why? Because literally everything that exists, he made, and he made it so that you would worship him. And so there's not this, like, division between sort of holy, like, spiritual things and the normal physical things. Jesus wants it all, and all of it is for him. And I remember when I was, like, learning this, I remember, like, walking across campus and in between classes just starting to, like, pay attention to trees and, and I probably look pretty weird because I like would literally stand in the middle of a sidewalk sometimes and just like stare up at a tree. Like Braden's big, I didn't plan on this, but this reminded me of this. Braden's big moment when he like realized the existence of God was when he stared at a squirrel. Like literally just stood and stared at a squirrel and he was like, yep, God exists. And, and like that was like his big moment. Okay, so sorry, Braden, hopefully you're cool with me telling that. Okay, wait, you're not, I don't know if you're up there. Anyway, okay, so here's the deal. I started learning that following Jesus isn't contained to sort of the spiritual things, but that all of life can remind me of him. When I eat a good, medium, rare steak, man, I worship Jesus. Now, if you are eating overcooked steak, you need to repent. That is not honoring Jesus. Medium, rare steak, okay, but when I eat a good medium rare steak, I, I like, I praise Jesus that that medium rare steak exists. He made that cow and he put it on my plate and I love him for it. Like all of life can be an act of worship to him because he made everything and everything is for him. Okay, the story of everything is not just that Jesus is the word and that everything is through him and for him. The story of everything is also that he's the light. He's the light. So verse nine, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of the blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So I want to focus in on there, verse 9, that the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. To understand that, we got to look at the context that it's in from verse 5. So verse 5 says this, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Okay, did, did you catch that? Did you pay attention to the language? Darkness and light are fighting against each other. They're, they're at war together. There's, there's tension between them, which is odd, right? Because God, it, it just got done talking about how Jesus 
was there in the beginning and how he made this really good world. And so why is there this tension between good and evil, between darkness and light? It's because something has gone deeply wrong. That sin and pain and suffering has entered this world. And there's a lot of ways that we can talk about that, right? You can go the whole cultural route, like we're so divided, like our, our world is crazy. What's but I think the thing that lands more with me and that, that maybe you know better is just like, it's suffering. It's the pain that some of you guys have been through. Like some of you when you were a kid and, and like your parents didn't treat you the way that you should have been treated and, and maybe he left or, or maybe you've walked through like neglect and abuse or maybe they never said I love you and you felt insecure your whole life. Or maybe that, that suffering is right now. Like college isn't always like super fun. It is a blast and like, yeah, you have this time of your life, but sometimes it just sucks. You know, some of you are, you're, you're anxious, you're worried about the test coming up or you're worried about like what you're gonna do with your life or you just went through a breakup or you're having like a crisis of faith. Right, and you're not sure if this Christianity thing is for you, and you've got you've got doubts, you've got frustrations with it, you you don't understand it. Or if that's not you, I can promise you, if you live long enough, you will suffer. I know that's not like super fun, but I feel like I have to be honest with you on this. Like, the longer you live in life, the longer you realize that it will never meet your expectations. You've got these big dreams for your life, and that everything that life will be for you. And that's great. Like, you can accomplish a ton in this life. I believe in you, but I'm telling you, like, even if you get everything that you're longing for, you're still gonna want and need more. It'll never satisfy what you're looking for. It'll never be everything that you need it to be. We're all too familiar with suffering, with pain. That's the part of the story of all things. That there's a way that life was supposed to be and we all know it, but there's something that went wrong. That life will constantly be full of unmet expectations. And here's the thing, the darkness doesn't end there. It doesn't end with just suffering. It's not just that the world is not what it was supposed to be. It's that you're not what you were supposed to be. You're more messed up than you want to be that you want to admit I'm more messed up than I want to be, than I want to admit. And here's what this text is saying, is that that's caused us to reject God. The second half of verse 10 and then into 11, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. So Jesus came. He, he was the word made flesh. Like God himself he, he lived among us. That's one of the, like the craziest ideas that I've ever heard. He came and he was the light and he started to push back darkness and people ran from all over the place just to see him, just to hear his voice once. There's, there's stories all throughout the Bible where people are literally pushing and shoving to just try and touch Jesus because some of the people that would touch him would be immediately healed. He starts pushing back sickness and darkness and pain and he preaches a message of, of peace and of loving your enemies. And he's light pushing back darkness. But the very people that he came 
pushed him away. The very people that he came for pushed him away. The very people that he pursued to shine light into their life rejected him. And that's us too. Because here's what's true about light is it exposes you for who you really are. And we don't like that. When you get used to the darkness, you don't like the light anymore. So I'm reading this book uh, by C.S. Lewis. It's called The Great Divorce. And it it starts out and it it just seems like a novel and it's like a little bit weird. There's people like waiting in line for this bus and then all of a sudden they get on this bus and it starts flying and you're like, what the heck? And then it, it flies and you somehow like through this whole thing realize that the book started with people that are in hell and they're flying up to heaven. Trippy book. It'll mess with your brain. That's what C.S. Lewis does. He like takes your brain out and he like tweaks it and then he like puts it back in. So, so here's the concept of this whole book. It's like people coming out from heaven to try and like convince people who are in hell that heaven is the right place to live. Okay, it's not like, he's not presenting this as theology. Don't do like weird stuff with this. Okay, it's, it's a novel. Relax. Okay, so, and, and so what's happening is, is kind of crazy because these people that are coming out of hell, when they experience the most beautiful place that they can imagine, right? Like he describes it in ways that I don't even know how to describe, just read it sometime. But he, he talks about heaven as like somehow bigger, like somehow more real than anything we've experienced. And it's bright, there's light there. And these people who are coming out of hell, when they encounter this beautiful, bright place, they actually hate it. It's like blinding to them. And then there's these conversations of these like ghost-like figures, these like ugly ghosts with these like saints that are trying to invite them into heaven. And there's this one in particular that stuck out to me. It's this, it's this woman who like realizes what she looks like. She realizes that she's like this kind of like ugly ghost thing among like these heavenly beings. And she's like, essentially says like, I can't go in because I'm too ugly. Like she, she would rather have hell than admit that she's ugly, that there's something wrong, that she's not what she should be. And they're like inviting her in and saying, no, no, like you'll get a new body, you'll be beautiful, it'll be amazing, like no one cares, it's fine. And she runs back to the bus and back to hell because she doesn't want to admit who she really is. She doesn't want to be exposed. We're a lot like that. We don't want to have to admit who we really are. It's easier to hide in the darkness and be able to pretend than to walk in the light and figure out that there's something wrong with us and that we need help. This is what light does. It exposes you for what you really are. And when Jesus shines light into your life, you'll have to deal with the fact that you're not what you hoped you would be. And in order to come into the light, you'll have to admit that you're dark, that there's something wrong and that you need help. But here's the thing. If you're willing to do that, like the the problem with people in that book wasn't information, it was pride. If, If you're willing to admit that you don't have what it takes on your own, you are invited in to the presence of God, and Jesus will make you into an entirely new being. He'll wrap you up into his story. This is verse 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. That is like one of the, like that verse has carried me through some of the darkest times of my life. I want to break that down. 
but to all who received him. So first, all. Okay, salvation is open to anyone. Anyone who wants to know God can. Because there's so, much, there's so much crap that divides us. Like, you see that division in our culture, right? And sometimes the church has done this, where it's like, it's the good people in here, and then there's sort of the, the bad people out here. There's, there's the religious people that are sort of in, and the non-religious people that are out. But what this is saying is, anyone can come in. That it's not the church kids, it's not the religious people, it's anybody who wants to know Jesus can. Anyone who wants to be a part of his story can come in. Look, if you've heard that, let it go. You're welcome. You can walk in. Salvation is not just for church people, it's for all people who want it. Salvation is not just for men, it's for women. Jesus was born into a patriarchal society and he spent his life reversing that. He spent his life elevating women, respecting them, putting them on an equal playing field as men. Our culture is different than that and we're thankful for that. We've progressed, but there's still some of the remnants there. And there's women in this room that, that feel like you haven't been treated with respect. That you haven't been given the same rights and the same opportunities that men have. That you feel overlooked. And this is what I want to tell you. That's crap. And that's not true of Jesus. Jesus elevates you. He loves you. He delights in you. Salvation is not just for white people. Okay, guys, every picture I've seen of Jesus is like hippie, curly-haired, white Jesus petting a lamb. Jesus wasn't white. He was from the Middle East, okay? Now, is it, okay, can white people be saved by Jesus? Okay, yes, all right? Like, don't, again, don't do weird things, all right? But this is what I'm saying, is there's people in this room who have experienced racism. And then maybe just as bad, you've had people who haven't believed you when you've told them. You've shared your experience in salt in the wound. People just downplay it. They minimize it. They say that's not true. I'm sorry. Jesus isn't like that. The picture of heaven that Jesus lays out is people from every tribe, every nation, and every tongue worshiping him a multicultural community that, that aren't based on their divisions from one another, that are based on their unity in Jesus. That they have more similarity in who Jesus is than their differences. Salvation is for all people. Okay. But to all who receive him, you have to receive Jesus. It doesn't just happen automatically. You have to trust him in faith. You have to believe in him. That's the access point to knowing him. If you haven't believed, then you don't have him. For all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God. Children of God. I don't have time to pack that. That's one of the most, unpack that. That's one of the most ridiculous truths in the world. We'll talk about that more. He, 
here's what being a child of God means. It means that everything that Jesus has, you now have access to. Like the Bible says that we can become co-heirs with Christ. What's an heir? An heir is a person that gets the family inheritance, that gets everything that the Father has. If you have trusted Jesus, if you want to come in, you have access to the standing that Jesus has before God. You have access to literally everything that he has. That's nuts. How would that change your life? Do you actually believe that? I'm not saying do you like affirm that in your brain. I'm saying like day to day, do you actually live like that? So my sister and my brother-in-law recently adopted a little boy. His name's Jacob. And they adopted him out of the foster care system. And so when he initially came into their home, he like, he didn't really have a family. He had, he had bounced around between houses. He had had like total inconsistency. Little dude had seen like more messed up stuff than any person should. And when he came in, he was a blast to be around, but he was also sort of standoffish. He was afraid. He was, he was angry. And he didn't know how to sort of like be a part of this family that we had. But then over time, as they loved him, as they cared for him, as they showed him that they weren't leaving, he started to change. Until recently, they, they got to adopt him. And now Jacob has a new name. He's got a new last name, and he's got a new family. And so here's what I'm seeing in that little guy is, yeah, he's still got problems, but he he feels secure in the love that his parents have for him. And so he has joy that he didn't have before. He has freedom that he didn't have before. He has life that he didn't have before because the story of, of my sister and her husband have, has overcome his old story. He's no longer an orphan, he's a son. That's what it's like to know God. Okay, so I wanna, I wanna show you that transformation like happening to someone in this text. Okay, so let's go to like the final section of John 1, starting in verse 47. We're gonna talk about this guy, Nathaniel. Verse 47, Jesus saw Nathaniel coming towards him and said of him, behold an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Nathaniel said to him, how do you know me? Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. So, so Nathaniel walks up to Jesus and Jesus starts talking to him. He actually compliments him. You know how hard that would be to compliment someone if you're better at, than them at everything? But Jesus compliments him. And then Nathaniel's like, dude, how do you even know who I am? And then Jesus gives a pretty straight up answer. Yeah, I saw you standing up over there under that fig tree. Okay, and then listen to this. This is how Nathaniel responds. Okay, Rabbi, you are the son of God, the king of Israel. What? So if I like come up to you and I introduce myself, I'm like, hey, how it's going? how's it going? And you're like, how do you know who I am? And I'm like, I saw you standing on the, on the, by that pole over there. Would you respond by saying, you are the king of Israel? Hopefully not, right? That's weird. And, and here's the explanation for what's happening. I have no idea. I like genuinely just don't know. And a bunch of smart dudes that I read also don't know. Some of them tried to make up a little explanation, but it's like they don't actually know either. So, but apparently something happened where Jesus did some, I don't know, like weird like brain reading or like him and Nathaniel had this connection where it like clicked for him and Nathaniel believed. He, he, 
he went in that moment, I think, he went from being an orphan to being a son. He put his trust in Jesus. And then look at verse 50. This is what Jesus says. Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So I love Jesus' response. Like, Nathaniel, you think that was cool? Like, wait till I got what's coming. I'm gonna talk about that in a second. But I gotta explain this. What's this business about angels going up and down, ascending, descending? Okay, here's what Jesus is doing is he's referencing an Old Testament story that Nathaniel would have known. It's the story of Jacob. Long story short, Jacob essentially cheated his brother out of his inheritance. And then his brother, understandably, got a little ticked and wanted to kill him. And so Jacob took off. And Jacob is, is running through the wilderness. He's just left his family. He feels completely alone. And I don't think he like, even really knows who God is at this point. And he grabs a rock and he like, falls asleep on a rock in the middle of the desert. And he has this dream. And it's a dream of this this ladder going up and down between heaven and earth. And then God comes and he interprets this dream and he says, here's the deal, Jacob, where you're staying, where you're laying right now is holy ground. This is the gateway between heaven and earth. No human being can climb up to me, Jacob, but I will come down to you. And God makes a promise to him. And he says, hey, there's gonna be this connection where heaven meets earth, where my presence can come into your presence and where you'll never have to be alone again, where I can be with you. So why does Jesus tell this story? Because instead of saying that the angels were descending, the presence of God was descending at this place, the gate of heaven, Jesus is saying that they're ascending and descending on him. Jesus is looking at Nathaniel and he's saying, I am the gateway to heaven. I am the place where heaven meets earth, where you can walk into the presence of God and you can't climb up a ladder to him, but he will come down to you through me. I'm gonna bring his presence to you. Heaven will meet earth in me. He tore open the gap between heaven and earth and the presence of God is now where we can live because of Jesus. But not only is he saying that he's the gateway into heaven, he's teaching us something about the Bible. He's saying, hey, all of those stories in the Old Testament that you've heard about Nathaniel, they're all about me. I'm the one that it's all been pointing to. All of the old stories in the Old Testament are pointing to Jesus, and not only that, every story that's ever been told is pointing to him, because he's the story. And to the disciples, to the people that are interested in him, this is what Jesus says. He meets a bunch of people. He meets John the Baptist. He meets his future disciples. And this is what he says to all of them. Hey, you guys want to come and see? You want to come and hear my story? You want to come and see what I'm like? You can come in. And I love what he said to Nathaniel. Like with whatever happened with the fig tree, Jesus looks at Nathaniel and he goes, you thought that was good? Like you just wait. You just wait for what I've got coming for you. So when I was a kid, I loved the 4th of July. And I used to make my family go early to this lake where we would watch fireworks getting shot off. And we'd go and we'd find our seat and we'd sit down. 
And you know how like before the fireworks start, there's all those other people that, that shoot off fireworks like around the lake. And as a kid, I thought that was it, right? So I'd like look at these little fireworks. I'd be like, oh my gosh, I'd be like grabbing my family like they're starting. And they'd be like, no, nah, dude. Like, I, they probably didn't say dude, but they're like, no, nah, like they're, they're still coming. I'm like, how am I going to know? Like I'm going to miss it. And they're like, oh no, you'll know, Right? And you guys know what this is like. You're sitting there, you're like watching like the little ones go around the lake and then all of a sudden the, so the real ones start and you just go, oh, right? Jesus is saying, that's what I'm like. He's saying, you've gotten a little taste of me, Nathaniel, but there's so much more coming. If you come and follow me, you won't believe what I'll show you. Look, Salt Company, some of you have gotten a little taste of Jesus and you're amazed by it and that's awesome. You've gotten a little feel for like what it's like to have him in your life. You've seen like this movement kind of begin and grow. And I feel like Jesus is saying this to our ministry. You've got no idea what's coming. I've got so much more in store for you. If you'll just keep coming, if you'll just keep following me. And if you'll let your story get wrapped up into my story. So I want to kind of finish out with this. We got any Lord of the Rings fans? Yeah, I don't know if this is like a nerdy thing to admit or not. My guess is there's more of you than that. I like Lord of the Rings. Um, okay, so there's this scene in Lord of the Rings where there's this battle happening in the second movie. And it's the classic like movie thing where it looks like the bad guys are gonna defeat the good guys, like bad's gonna defeat evil, right? And, and they look like they're hopeless and everybody's gonna die, but then they look up and they see Gandalf, okay, weird name. Gandalf's like a, a wizard. The more I explain this, the nerdier it gets. Okay, I didn't think about this, but okay, Gandalf's like a good wizard, and he's, he's like a Jesus-like character. The author of Lord of the Rings actually was a Christian and like wrote Christian themes into the story. And so, so Gandalf shows up with like this army that comes back behind him. Just when like all hope seems lost, he shows up. And then they kind of have this moment where they sort of look at each other and then there's like the epic scene in the movie, right? Where he starts to ride down this hill and eventually he goes and he like wipes out the entire evil army and it's like the slow-mo thing where like the sun rises behind him. There's the epic music in the background, that type of thing. So here's the deal. That, that's a pointer to the story of everything. That is what Jesus is gonna do. He will come back to earth. He will ride on a white horse and he will eradicate evil forever and good will win. It'll win and we'll be able to be with Jesus for eternity. But I wanna tell you where you're at in the story. You're like extra 347. So, so you're like in the top left of the screen, there's like, one person like riding a horse, there's like just a boot in the screen. Okay, you're that boot. That's you. That's your role in the story. And here's the deal. We hate that. I hate that because we want to be the hero of the story, right? We want to be the ones that ride in and save the day. But I'm telling you, you can't be the hero of the story, but here's why that's awesome, because the story, any other story that you live for is completely insignificant. Yeah, you can try and be the hero of that story, but it won't matter and people won't remember it. But you're welcome to come into a story that's bigger than you. 
Jesus is the hero of that story, but you can get wrapped up in it. Knowing Jesus means you have to sacrifice your vision for yourself as the hero of the story, but it means that you get to be a part of a better story. Significance in life comes not through trying to make yourself the hero, but through getting caught up in something that's bigger than you. Finding a story that's worth living for. Jesus' story is worth living for. It's worth being a part of. It's worth laying down whatever else you got going to get wrapped up into that story. Is that you? Let me pray. Jesus, thanks for that great story that you're gonna come back one day, that you'll eradicate evil forever, that goodness will reign. And I'm thankful that you've gotten me caught up in that story. And God, I just don't wanna be a proud person and I don't want us to be proud people. I want us to be a ministry who's all about you, who sees you as the hero of the story, of the author of the stars who's come to save us and that, that just love getting to be a part of it at all. And so would you make that true of our lives? Would you help us not to settle for dumb stuff, for being the hero of our own stories, but to live the better life of getting wrapped up into what you've got going on in the world? Jesus, you're awesome. We love you. We're excited to worship you. Amen.